What it do, what it do, what it do. Welcome, everybody, to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am Chris Sinclair, and I am joined by my fellow host, Drew Garrison. We are a couple of self-proclaimed, obviously, booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience, reaching back to the day of washing dishes and cleaning pizza ovens, all the way to owning multiple businesses and selling some of the most exclusive brands in the world. Our goal is to walk you through today's most interesting alcohol industry headlines while sipping amazing drinks as we do it. Drew, what are we covering today? Chris, per the usual, we have all kinds of interesting stories that we're going to go through today. But um, before we do that, I actually want to do some follow-up on one of last week's stories. And we had talked about the glass fire, which had just you know, has been ripping and roaring through Napa and Sonoma area and just doing all kinds of devastating damage. And one of the things that we talked about was just different ways that you could support uh, Napa and everybody down there at this time. And I think some of our suggestions were a little bit lacking as even after, as we were saying them, I was like, there's gotta be more. And there definitely is. And there is a group called the Napa Valley community disaster relief fund. And this was a group that was established a few years ago because, you know, unfortunately these events continue to happen. And what they're doing is they are just raising money and you can go to their website, which is NapaValleyCF.org and you can donate there. Um, the glass fire, fire at this point is 90% contained, but the ramifications of its devastation are going to be going on for a very long time. Um, so check them out. If you can't make it down to Napa or Sonoma to go and support these places, um, that's a really great way to put some money out there and and help out a little bit. So again, that is the Napa Valley Community Disaster Relief Fund, NapaValleyCF.org. And with all that said, some of the things that we'll be covering today are there are no more cans for any of us. There's a huge drop in American whiskey exports. We have the latest and greatest from Pabst Blue Ribbon, and we're going to be sipping on some great stuff, and we're going to be telling you dope people to follow. But before that, Chris? Ah. What are you drinking? Oh, buddy. I got uh, I got some uh, some delicious Barbaresco in front of me uh, this evening. Uh, Castello di Neve uh, Barbaresco, hundred um, uh, percent Nebbiolo. Uh, it's coming uh, right out of uh, Piedmont in the in the region of Neve. Uh, it is spicy but light. It's super dry. And uh, honestly, I, I, I think I'm going to take a bottle of this and I'm going to lay it down for like two years, three years, and just see what happens to it. Kind of excited about it. This is, this is really fantastic wine. So when you, when you lay down wine in a situation like that and you say you're going you're gonna to put it away for two to three years, where does that bottle go in your house? Uh, it, it sits with the rest of my wine, but I put a note on it that says, don't you fucking drink this yet. Actually, usually I just, I just write a, I write a date on it and that's, we'll just wait for that date. But we've got, you know, uh, Jen and I have a few of those bottles, like where where we've traveled and we've bought things that we just wanted to lay down, um, that we thought would age well, um, that we've, you know, uh, we've our relationship has matured long enough that uh, those now become celebratory bottles. 
I suppose, because, uh, you know, they're like, oh, man, remember this bottle from five years ago? And we, uh, it's great. You know, it's fun, fun way to sort of revisit and relive experiences that we've had together. No, I think that's awesome. And I mean, I definitely have a couple bottles like that that sit at the bottom of the wine fridge, you know, kind of like the do not touch row. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a, I have a bottle of a, a port or is it a port? It might be a Madeira from 1987 that was, which is the year both my wife and I were born that we're going to crack open for probably our 40th birthdays. We'll do like a, we'll do like a halfway point. Cause she is older than me. Let the record show. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so there's definitely that now. I think what a lot of people would be interested in now, when you out, outside of outside of like a shared memory that you and your wife, Jen will have, which I think this is, I think that's a really cool thing to do, right. To kind of be able to call back on that stuff. But if it's not necessarily a shared memory, when you try a wine, what are the characteristics that you're looking for that you're just kind of like, I want to see what this does in a few years. Um, you're looking mostly for the acid and for the tannins. Um, the acid is really the structure that will allow a wine to um, hold up over the years. Um, the alcohol somewhat, but it, do, it doesn't even necessarily need to be high alcohol. Um, it, it helps preserve it a little bit, but definitely having, having that acidic structure um, within the wine um, helps, helps it age more. It helps it age, really. Um, I, I don't, I don't even want to say better. I just, I just want to say it helps at age. The, if you find really soft wines that don't typically, um, you know, they, they, they're just, they're not acidic. They might have a little bit of sugar. They, even if they don't uh, have sugar, but they're just flabby or maybe not even necessarily flabby. They're just soft. Um, those typically will just go dull uh, if they age for too long. They'll, they'll just be boring when you when you open them, because yeah. you know, I mean, the corks, the corks, you know, they, they let oxygen in and out, and they they let it breathe a little bit. Um, there there's some really cool new caps, uh, screw caps that have been developed over the last couple of years that I, I've heard rumor of that allow for a little bit of breathability of the wine. So that way you could, you could theoretically age your wine that way. Um, but I haven't, I haven't per- personally witnessed any of those yet. I've just, I've heard rumor that they, they exist, that, that mythological beast that's out there. But, you know, I mean, half of the fun of opening an old wine or an older wine is cracking open that cork. It's just, you know, that, that ritual is, is enjoyable. Totally. And then when it comes to storage, if someone is an aspiring wine layer downer, um, <laughs> what do you suggest that they do? Always on the side, always lay down on the side um, and um, inside. Uh, don't allow your wine to get too hot, too cold. Yeah. Uh, and definitely not transition between the two. Uh, right. That's going to fuck it up. And also keep it out of direct sunlight because the sunlight will fuck it up too. So, you know, on a book, sh- on a bookshelf, uh, or, you know, if you have a wine fridge, even better, but you know, you know, uh, mine is, mine is busted right now. Um, so 
I, I don't have one. I just, I have a, a so it's just a wine cabinet. Uh, it's not just a bookshelf. Really. Uh, it's just an open bookshelf and, and it's long and the bottom, uh, the bottom two shelves are for, are for wine. So I literally just lay down bottles of wine on their side and just stack them up. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's important to point out, you know, for people who, when it comes to alcohol storage, you know, you can do that with wine. Do not do that with high proof alcohol. Um, right. Right. That alcohol will eat through the cork and, or, you know, um, and it's just, it's not a good situation. So, you know, I've seen some people do that before and it's just, yeah, it, it looks cool, but you know, it's not, that's not a long-term solution. So just make sure you don't do that if you yeah. are also trying to save a bunch of, you know, hard alcohol. Yeah. Well, I mean, with, with hard alcohol, you know, that, that the alcohol does eat through that cork and, and occasionally with, with wine, you'll find that that happens too. But typically the, the wine mostly just moistens the cork, which is the point. So it, it keeps it, it keeps it closed longer. So you're not, you're not getting as much oxygen. You're not getting that deterioration and um, you're not going to ruin your wine, um, which is, yeah. Exactly the opposite, right? For for booze, um, yeah. What are you uh, What are you drinking on there, Drew? You know, it's it's one of those ones that I just constantly find myself coming back to over and over again, like to the point where I always I have to like double check through all of our pictures. I'm like, have I done this yet? <laughs> and if I go back far enough, I'm like, okay, cool. I haven't done it at least in recent memory, or that's one of the that's one of the times I forgot to post it on Instagram. Um, and so what what I'm what I am drinking on is the Kilhoman 100% Isla, and this is the 10th edition, which is the newest edition that they have have come out with. So each year, you know, Kilhoman does a whole bunch of fun stuff, and I know we've talked about it on this podcast quite a bit. And um, in this in this version, it was um, a combination of, of three different distillates from 2007, 2009, and 2010 that were matured for a minimum of nine years in either bourbon barrels or sherry cask. And the way it broke down, there was 39 bourbon barrels. There was two Oloroso sherry casks. There was a total of... Um, 12,400 bottles in the entire run. And that goes to the entire world. Just, you know, just a little under 12.5 there. Um, what I love about the 100% Isla is the barley that they, that they use for it is all grown on Isla. So that's, you know, hence the name. It's very much so something that they have their hands on from beginning to end. And Kilhoman, you know, really leans into the fact that they're more, they're, they're the Isla's farm distillery. You know, they, they have these barley fields. They actually have a ton of animals as well. And I just really love this, this one because it's always a little bit different from year to year. The first one I had would have been probably the seventh edition and it just blew my mind. Yeah. That's um, the one, that's the one that I remember you, uh, you tasting me on, um, as well um yeah right, and right, it just right when you first started working with jvs right and then you know and so so yeah so i i sell this one in in um jvr impex who's our who's the import arm of our company you know they they import this this really wonderful whiskey and um 
you know, there's there's always things that get me really excited when it comes to Phil Homan. And, you know, it's it's always going to be like a like a one off that they do or, you know, maybe it's I always like to try the the lock gorm. That's a really great expression from them. But the 100% Isla is always like the must have. Like there's just no doubt about it. I'm buying a bottle every single year. I don't buy multiple bottles. Um, I only buy one, maybe two, depending on how quickly I drink it. And the reason for that is that I love this whiskey so much. I want more people to experience it. And so I leave that out in the wild. I'm like, I'm going I'm to leave this for somebody else. They're going to come in. They're going to find it. They're going to hopefully fall in love the same way that I did like with this really awesome whiskey. And I think it also – like this was the one that I always thought about. Okay, this is, this is proof that terroir exists within whiskey. And then I had a conversation with Robin Robinson and he was like, no, it's provenance. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, I don't know what I believe anymore because it, it feels like you can taste the salinity on this. You know, I mean, obviously it's still peated, but it's the, the saltiness on it is just really, really there. And the difference between. Well, especially, um, especially in 10, um, it, you know, in the, the 10th edition, this, this newest edition, I find it to be very um, saline heavy. Uh, yeah. Not, not like. Uh, not like you ate over salted French fries or anything, right? But like, but similar to driving near the ocean and just you know you're breathing in, you just smell that salty air, right? Right. Which is you know, I, I mean, again, I think it, I think it just speaks to this really wonderful process that they have there, and then you know the fact that this barley really makes a huge difference. So. So yeah, so this is the so this is the tenth edition Kilhoman hundred percent Isla, and I just absolutely. I mean, it's at fifty percent too, so you're getting some bang for your buck there. You don't need to drink a whole lot of it to enjoy it, and just a it's a it's a fun one, and definitely definitely one that you need to have the sh- on the shelf if you're an Isla fan. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that. Um, I I have a bottle at home as well because I'm the same way, man. I I um. I can't pass up this bottle when it comes out every year. It's just, I, I, I get really excited. Um, now correct me if I'm wrong, this, all the barley then is, is state grown. Like they, because they have, they have their hands on it. So is it, is it theirs? Like all the, all that farmland is theirs or they're contracting it. No. So it's all theirs. There was a time period where they were pulling from a farm, that both them and Brook Lottie were pulling from. And, and I don't remember a hundred percent if Brook Lottie actually might've owned it, but I know they were both pulling from that farm because Brook Lottie also did a, an Isla version of their whiskey similar to this. Um, but now they bought that farm outright. And so they, um, they're just, it's, it's really insane because, they have this full blown farm operation that they're responsible for in addition to being a distillery and a great distillery at that. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess the way, you know, in in wine terms, yes, it's an estate grown barley, which virtually nobody else does that. And I'm sure there's someone out there who does, and I'm going to probably Google it later, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, 
these guys and maybe one or two others. I can't imagine it's more than that. Like it's because it, it, it didn't become like, it used to be part of the process, right? You grow your own barley, malt it, ferment it, distill it, and then, you know, age it. And then eventually it just got to the point where they started to contract it out because it was more cost-effective that way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. And, and that's just where the industry started to trend. Kilhoman looks at it as a way to, kind of reestablish its roots in the in the industry, right? It's one of the newer distilleries, you know, opening up in the early 2000s. So with that being the case, like they're like, okay, well, we can kind of go back to how the old ways were. Like we have our involvement in the barley the entire time. So it's like, it's really this hands-on um, every step of the way process, which is kind of cool to be like, yeah, we, we grew this ourselves and then we fermented, so that the whole thing, this is all just us, us touching this product, which is really, I think that's just really badass. It's just, it's just a cool story. And then, you know, fortunately at the end of the day, the whiskey is just incredible. So it's just a really, really great stuff. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I, I, and I'm racking my brain too, to see if I can think of any, any other distilleries that might be estate grown, um, barley. And I, I can't, and you know, I, I'm sure we'll get someone who who uh, writes in, emails us, and um, lets us. If know. I ever check the email, of course. Yeah, exactly. But we'll, we'll never know, so it doesn't matter. I'm never going to check it ever. <laughs> um, it's like we're like yeah, those, I, we're like those guys that just leave our our uh, voicemail full forever. I'm also that person. I do both of these things. <laughs> What's funny because in outside of that, like if I have notifications on my phone, it drives me crazy. So like I don't let those things sit, but voicemails and the good bottle podcast email, I, I don't I don't check. Well, don't let them I mean, discourage was... you for good listener. Just <laughs> email away. But if, eventually... you do, if you do email, make sure that you text Drew so that way he knows. And then I'll check that, it. That he'll see. Yeah, you got to double dip on me on that one. Um, so yeah, so that that's what I'm sipping on. We'll continue to sip on that. Uh, you guys, definitely, we're going to double plug this one. Go out and buy this at Good Bottle as soon as you can because it's once it's gone, it's, it's gone, gone until it's gone until next year. Um, but now that now that we've tasted through those, it's time for our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Chris, there are no more cans left. No cans for you. No cans for anyone who's not called Pepsi, Coke, Anheuser-Busch, or Molson Coors. According to Ball Corp, the biggest manufacturer of aluminum cans within um, the U.S., they are saying that there will be a 10 billion can (laughs) shortage in 2020. And reason being is the growth of hard seltzers, and still in sparkling um, waters as well. And then just an increase in sodas and consumption of cans this year. Um, I knew truly it was going to ruin my life. I didn't think that this was going to be how it did. <laughs> yeah. And it's as, as we read through this article, it was really interesting to see the foresight that people at like Pepsi, Coke, and Anheuser and Coors had to where they continued to buy the stockpiles and things like that. Unfortunately, who ends up suffering in these situations is the much smaller beer producers or small companies who are using cans as their means where one, one brewery was like, you know, we just, we don't have no idea when cans are showing up and it's 
probably going to be a situation where we might have to close one day, which is really sad and awful. But it's um, the solutions that they're finding and even bringing in cans from overseas, like they're only amounting to about 2 billion cans. So there really are no solutions. Chris, you sent this article to me. What were the things that made you think that we needed to talk about it? Well, a it's um, it's not as doom and gloom as we're <laughs> we've been covering for the last last few months. So I thought this was a lot more entertaining uh, and just another reason to shake our angry fists at uh, at hard seltzer companies. Uh, I I thought this was really really interesting. Also that that Ball has decided to like expand their domestic capacity by installing two lines, which I guess that's big. I, 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 I like, I'm like, damn, like, that's it. Like maybe they're expect like expecting to, uh, hike up cost and, and it'll be good for them that way. But that, I mean, only adding those two lines in existing facilities in Arizona and in, uh, Pennsylvania, it's only going to provide, uh, like 6 billion more cans by the end of 2021. So we're still on a shortage and running at a deficit, even with that, um, the ball, uh, for those of you who don't know, also creates uh, all the mason jars, um, which we're also in a shortage of, uh, which is not in this story. But uh, I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in there. Maybe maybe ball like needs to just create a brand new plant somewhere and give people more jobs. I don't know, but it seems like a good idea to me. Um, it's I, it's it, you put in a category of like weird things that or weirdly affected this year, you know, that you never would have thought of. Totally. It's and like, it's, you know, it's due to people drinking at home. Um, you know, the, the craft brewers have moved into doing cans instead of bottles, or at least more cans instead of bottles. Uh, you know, obvious, obviously the, the explosion, explosion of hard seltzer. Uh, it, it, it is all very interesting and a, a weird set of coincidences that just sort of led to this perfect storm. Yeah, I, it, it really is that right. And we've talked about this before to the point where I don't really drink the seltzers and I'm not, I'm not an anti seltzer person. I totally get the appeal and why people uh, do drink them. I will say that I think the speed in which people drink seltzers is terrifying <laughs> to me, right? Like they're just because so many people are like, well, I can't really taste anything. It's just like water. And I, and I've been to a couple, you know, of socially distanced events where, where Trulies or, you know, any one of these other ones that exist, I can't think of any other at this point, but it's like, it's just one after another, after another. And I'm just like, okay, you just knocked out like, 12 seltzers like just drink a beer and get the same amount of alcohol like it's just uh it blows my mind at at the pace and rate that people are able to crush these cans and so when you sent me this i was just my mind immediately went to a few of those situations where i was like yep i've seen how these things get consumed that totally totally checks out to me but you know to your point about ball corp it's like oh you're gonna add a second line i mean good lord way to really step up your efforts. Well, they're you know? adding two, two new lines, not a second line, two new lines, but yeah. Um, I mean, I, they're probably hedging their bets that the, the, the consumption of which won't, um, 
probably won't continue, but who knows, man? I mean, um, you know, drinking, uh, you can carry a 30 pack of cans. You can't carry a 30 pack of bottles, you know, uh, cans, That's very true. cans are, cans are just lighter, whether they're full or empty. Uh, what, what I am interested in though, is, uh, are they, are they buying recycled aluminum, you know, with all those cans going out, are, are they, are they purchasing some of them back in, you know, in raw form? I'd be, I'd be really interested to see that statistic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think this, this is probably going to be something that we're going to occasionally come back to because this is probably going to get worse before it gets better. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. You know, in, in terms of like some, some places being like, Oh, we just don't know how we're going to make it now. It's like, put it in a bottle what do you mean you don't know <laughs> yeah it's not and it's not like bottles are are um that much more expensive i mean they're definitely more expensive uh um but requiring i mean it's a different it's a different set of machines that you need for bottling versus canning right definitely so and and already so many brewers struggle with canning and that's such a such an expense and such an investment but I think canning is, I think bottling, sorry, is is totally reasonable. I mean, between shutting down or can it, or bottling, I feel like maybe you should at least try it. <laughs> but a lot of, I mean, and, and maybe this is just my ignorance towards the beer business off the reach out to some friends that are in the more the mid-range breweries, but like within the wine business, you have bottling trucks that show up. Like you have an entire bottling line that exists in the back of a semi truck. It's batshit crazy, but oh, that's the, what a lot same, of people do. The same thing definitely exists exists with canning. Um, there's a there's locally, well, I say locally, as in like Northern California, they go between uh, the Bay Area and Sacramento. There's a there's a canning van. It's literally called the can van, and they um, it's what a lot of a lot of smaller manufacturers use uh i tried to get them to can up some cocktails for for red rabbit many many years ago and it just they pretty much laughed at me they were very polite and they're laughing at me but they pretty much laughed at me i thought it would have been cool but whatever and now like people are doing canned cocktails like all over the place yeah yeah (laughs) once again dude you're just you're you were too far ahead of your time Doug. Tell me about it. I mean, that's, you know, I'm going to die and then my stock's going to go up. I'm like, I'm just a starving artist, you know? (laughs) So there has been a huge drop in American whiskey exports. Who could have seen this coming? Us. We Um, did it. We saw it. Oh, that's true. We did. We did see that. And you can actually, and we did say that you can go back through the archives, go to the early days of the Good Bottle podcast where we talk about whiskey exports for the Americas going down. And the reason for that is because of the tariffs that have been going back and forth between the U.S. uh, trade representatives and the European Commission all over fighting 
between Boeing and Airbus and different regulations with that. So if you guys recall, back in October of 2019, the U.S. imposed a 25% tariff. On One single- year ago. One yeah, fucking year ago. Jesus. Yeah, single malt Scotch whiskey as well as um, some French cheese, uh, Irish whiskey, Irish single malts as well. And uh, basically what that – and then the European Commission came back and imposed tariffs onto American exports. And a year later, as Chris just so eloquently pointed out, Scotch whiskey is down 35% in the Americas. And American exports at whiskey are down 41% in Europe. So two industries – that had nothing to do with these intense negotiations, which have been going on since 2004, have lost nearly either a third or a quarter or a half of their business. And this is also in a time, obviously, of a pandemic when there's lots of struggles, which has led to all kinds of job loss. And it's to the point now where 18 organizations, both from the U.S., and uh, multiple countries in Europe have uh, come together and sent letters to both of those organizations asking them to cut the shit and get this figured out. Um, this is our only depressing story of today. So <laughs> that's uh, that's like the silver lining here. <laughs> Hang but, on, you're on. Um, <laughs> get ready for this roller coaster ride of emotion. Yeah. But Chris, when um, so when I sent you this one, I believe our back and forth com- you know, conversation was like, holy shit, and just wow. And it was really no surprises here on, on our side, right? Well, no, I just, you know, I, like, are we winning yet? Have we, have we won yet? Uh, I know that uh, our, our part of this negotiation, we'll, I'll, I'll say that very loosely, um, has been responded to recently in the last two weeks by the EU allowing for additional tariffs to be put on American goods, um, which sucks. I mean, this is just, you know, uh, it didn't need to go this far. Obviously, both parties are really terrible at at de-escalating and figuring out what the fuck should be going on in um I don't think either one wants to give up because they see this as, I don't know. I don't know. I like politically motivated um, is my best guess at this point in time. Like they need a win. They need to show how, how well they handled the other party and neither party is handling anything very well at this point in time, as far as I can tell. Yeah, it's just it. I mean, there was one point um, earlier this year where there was a legitimate threat that they were going to increase the tariffs up to a hundred percent. That's right, and I, as far as I can tell, the only reason that they didn't was based on these new EU tariffs for American goods, which calmed it down. They said, "Okay, yeah. well, this is this is getting out of hand. Maybe we'll give a little bit." And so they didn't go to 100 um, percent because it was reaching that threshold, um, and people were definitely freaking out and uh, yeah. holding, on, holding on for dear life. Right. 
Right. And, um, you know, and, and again, like these are these numbers that we've gone over and all the jobs that have been threatened through this. And there's the ramifications of these things like they're not going away anytime soon. Like these these again, these battles started in 2004. This isn't solely a Trump related issue. I think I mean, obviously. Oh, without a doubt. Influence yeah. there. But um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're at this we're at this fever pitch with this thing where it's just kind of like you know nothing is being figured out. There, neither side's giving an inch. You're just kind of like okay. And meanwhile, all these completely unrelated industries, which is I think the thing that like really has started or as as always, but like really starting to bug me the most, especially in a year where this industry has been hit harder than most, with maybe the exception of it, the entertainment industry. We're just kind of like, man, like we just can't catch a break this year, you know? And it's like, when does, when does the shit show stop? And there just doesn't seem to be any indication of that. Now, hopefully this letter that was sent that was signed by these, you know, 18 different like major organizations that represent a, a huge number of people will, will say, you know, make those changes, but unless you're, unless you're, you know, talking to your representatives and stuff like that, I mean, who knows when this is going to, when this is going to end or if it will get worse before it gets better. Yeah. And, and, you know, it might seem very abstract to a lot of people, um, uh, like no one's being affected, but I'll, I'll tell you, um, the, the price of your scotch, the price of your blue jeans, the price of your cheese have all gone up. Um, and maybe you didn't notice one of them. Maybe it felt like you started spending a little bit of money and you couldn't figure out how it's definitely because collectively it's, it's a, over a lot of different areas. Um, a lot of different categories in which were we, the consumers are being charged slowly uh, for all of this because there's no way a producer can can shoulder all of these costs, even though, as we talked about earlier, a lot have tried. You know, they tried to hold hold off from from pushing this off onto the consumer, but there's just there's no way. And so, with all of this drained down, it's us th- that ends up footing the bill. Yeah. And in our final story of t- of today. And back into the seltzer category, which I now realize we just did. Um, <laughs> we have the latest and greatest from that red, white, and blue Paps Blue Ribbon. They are they just launched in California the first cannabis infused seltzer. Now, this seltzer is lemon infused with THC and actually doesn't contain any alcohol. Um, and even though it looks like Paps Blue Ribbon and it has like the logo and all that stuff, there's is actually, Paps, is it Paps Green Ribbon? It's, it's no, but I think that's a huge miss there on their part. Um, they have actually licensed the name to this company that's, that's making it. And this company is made up of a group of former Paps Blue Ribbon employees, and what you can do is you can go to they, they've released it to about 12 different dispensaries throughout the state and they hope to be in 
over 30 by the time uh, October is over. But what's interesting about this is Paps looks as that looks at this as a opportunity to grow their brand because there's no money at stake for them when it comes to this seltzer. Uh, they're just letting them use the images and you know some of the branding, but they're not financially being compensated for it. And the reason being is because obviously on a federal level, this is still illegal. So with that being the case, they're like you're just going to use this. It's a way to trial it. And then what industry experts are looking at is like, wow, this is this is how this is how hot this industry is right now for you know marijuana, THC, um, cannabis, however you want to look at it. This is such an interesting um, niche for so many people that this is this is what they're willing to do to get their foot in the door. So. Chris, are you going to run to your local dispensary and grab yourself a cannabis-infused seltzer? As I'm soon not going to run because running is for guilty people. Okay, <laughs> um, but I, I I am very interested. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to a few friends who both uh, go to uh, go go to dispensaries. I fun, funny fact is I I've actually never set foot in a dispensary. I, I, I've meant to, and I feel like the same giddiness and trepidation and excitement of it. Like I did getting my first piercing when I was like 17, like I can do this. My family's going to be fine with it, but it's still exciting. Cause I'm not 18 and I sh- like, I might not be able to do it, but I'm going to do it. And, uh, uh, I feel the same sort of excitement about going into a, uh, going into a, a a dispensary, I I would like to taste this, and I bet it would be a lot of fun to, you know, I sell non-alcoholic cocktails and cocktail ingredients at at Good Bottle, and as soon as I heard this, hey, I was not surprised. Um, uh, I'm kind of stoked to see this slowly happening here in the U.S. Few years ago, we saw it happening in Canada a lot. You know, Philip Morris invested heavily into cannabis in Canada, and so did Pernod Ricard, and I believe one or two other um, uh, alcohol companies. I want to say possibly Diageo. I might be wrong about that, um, but I I think that having this take um, this this effect or sorry this launch happening this way and manifesting this way in the u.s i'm very excited i just hope that they uh leave enough cans for everybody else (laughs) wow what a callback yeah man you're welcome world you just nailed it uh (laughs) yeah i i think that this is is a super fun one as well um i i haven't been able to locate any photos of it which is a little disappointing. So I think I'm going to have to do the same thing as you, where I just reach out to my buddies who do spend a lot of time at dispensaries because I am also in the same boat as you. I just don't. I think any time that I get the nerve to be like, oh, I'm going to go to a dispensary for the first time. And then like, you know, you, you pull up and there's, you know, the arm guard out front. And then just the fact that I am not savvy to that stuff at all. I'm just kind of like, 
nope, this is too cool for me. I'm <laughs> walking away from this. I'm going to hit up my buddy the same way that I've done for multiple years now and have him get it for me. So um, that is what I'm going to do. But but I overall, you know, when you look at the popularity of seltzers, like, of course, this is the route that they would go, right? Of course, this is it. And I have had some interesting experiences with like infusions like this. One of the mezcals that I ended up bringing back from Oaxaca when I went a few years ago was a marijuana infused mezcal. Woo. Exactly. That's got And, and I can't, I don't, I'm trying to remember what the process was. So it was done the same way as Pachuga, which for our, dedicated listeners, you know, Pachuga is going to be an infusion basically during the second and or third distillation of the product where they put the, either they suspend the meat or the botanicals above the still, or they put it directly into it. In this situation, they threw the marijuana leaves and, and I guess nugs, or I don't see, I don't even know the terms. Um, the uh, arrow the of flowers. that goes, the flowers. the flowers go directly into the distillate itself. And yeah, it tasted like marijuana. Um, it was very interesting. I don't know if the THC survived the distillation method, but the flavor profile was for sure imparted onto it without a doubt. Um, so, and it was fun and it was cool and it was, um, you know, it was different. You know, does that, is that going to translate to to seltzers and stuff? I mean, like I said, the way I watch people crush seltzers and now you're putting THC in it, like that just seems like a win-win as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Maybe they'll slow down a little bit. <laughs> I don't think uh, so, man. Like they're so crazy so. about them. I don't think so either. I uh, Years and years ago, I uh, hung out right when I first started getting into, uh, into cocktails. Uh, we'll say we'll say at least the, using the parlance of of the times, uh, pre-prohibition style cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend of mine, who's a coworker, and he grew his own weed in his garden of his apartment, and so it was outdoor, and so he had harvested a bunch and just decided he was like, you know what, gin's good. I bet this is going to be great in vodka. <laughs> Have similar taste. And so he made a ton of what what would be known as Green Dragon, which is you know alcohol infused with uh, with weed. And holy shit, did I get fucked up? I think I had <laughs> I think I had like two, maybe three shots of it, and I was not functional at all. It was one of the more devastating inebriations of my lifetime. Well, it's what is it like? Uh, being crossfaded is yeah, what that is, yeah, right? It's, it's totally crossfaded. Yeah, it was. You got was completely. Yeah, you got crossfaded, and your body was just like, "There's just too much going on right now." Absolutely. Yeah, but it made for a good story that now I get to use. So you're welcome. It's, I it's, put I put my body and my life in risk so I can develop this content for our dedicated listeners and for science definitely for science (laughs) 
You know who's dope? Them over there. Yeah, they are. And now for my favorite part of any one of our shows until we reveal our newest section, which might happen next week, but we'll see. Our dope follows of the week. Chris, who is your dope follow of the week? Oh, man, I got a good one that I can't believe it's taken me this long to reveal. Um, it's just taken – every time I see it, I I, um, I always tell myself that I'm going to use this, and then I forget to write it down, and then I just – I've got so many other things going during the week that I always forget. Um, this one is on Instagram, at Dr. Indiana Jones, and that's Dr. Uh, Dr. Period Indiana Jones. It is a bunch of shorts – being recreated uh, from the movies uh, with action figures. It's amazing. It's stop action. It's hilarious. Uh, They're Indiana Jones action figures. It's fucking great. It's just brilliant. I love it. Are they, do the, do the action figures ever change or is it always like the same ones? Like oh no! It's all did, it's all Indiana Jones, right? No, what I mean is like, you know, you could have like your realistic looking Indiana Jones, but then they can also get like Legos. No, and do a Lego Jones, a Lego Indiana Jones. No, they're they're all uh, action figures. Okay, I don't know. I don't know any other way to say it. Um, <laughs> you know. They're like, you know, like old, uh, like Star Wars action figures, you know, not Lego kind, but like, you know, with a action grip type of thing, you know? Right. Yeah. Like there, there's like no joke here. Yeah. Do they put the, um, do they put the actual movie like yeah, the actual sound di- over the, the top of it? Over the yep, top of the it? actual, the actual dialogue and, and music and everything is playing as they like act out the, the scene. It's it's incredible. Oh my god! So I'm looking at it now, and they definitely, they definitely did Crystal Skull. Could you imagine having to put that much effort into Crystal Skull? <laughs> well, I mean, they already did the one time. So, ugh, what a sight of <laughs> uh, those poor people. Oh my god! Did it's they marvelous. do? Did they do the refrigerator scene in it? I haven't seen it yet, but that's that would be great. I mean, you would think that's. I mean, like that's a, like that's like the scene. Um, they definitely have uh, Indy yelling at Marion about about their kid not going to college. I've seen that scene. Um, it's pretty good. Pretty good. I. Uh, it's a strong follow for me. I think everybody everybody deserves a little bit of of Americana. Mixed with some uh, memories of your youth, mixed with just good old fashioned humor in this this time that we're all going through. So that's it's amazing. A, it's been a saving grace for me. Okay, so dr. Dot Indiana Jones. Correct. On Instagram. That's right. Okay, I'm I'm following them. You're welcome. I'm following them. So we're really expanding our base here with um, stop motion <laughs> <laughs> movie recreations. 
Hopefully when we tag them on the Instagram post, they're like, man, we should listen to this podcast. They really care about us. They That's definitely right. put in almost none of the effort that we do. You know what um, I would like to see is for them to make action figures of us and recreate one of our podcasts in action figure mode. That would just be like, like scrambling at like an hour before to put things together. Yes. And then- Drinking. They could add some like slapstick comedy in there, like, you know, maybe me falling out of my chair laughing or something like that. There's been there. Okay. So part of, part of the conversation I had with one of our listeners last night was she mentioned, she says, you can always tell when, when Chris is enjoying his drink too much Uh towards the end of the show, which I thought was amazing because it's so true. She's like, like, you can tell when Chris really likes what he's drinking because towards the end of the show, it just becomes like rambling nonsense. I'm like, yeah. I don't think it's nonsense at all, but I could take it. That's that's right. You're you're on the inside. You're too close to the situation. That's right. uh, That's true. I need to to take a 30 30 foot view. (laughs) um okay so so that is chris's dope follow of the week my dope follow of the week is actually a little bit more is is a lot more local um and it is it's on instagram as well and it's called sacktown bites oh yeah Uh, and what what they are is a you know little company here in sacramento that offers food tour adventures which i don't know how those are going right now but what they do do provide, which I thought was really cool, is they do uh-huh, these farm do. to fork in a box. And it's where you're able to get delicious, locally grown and produced goods delivered right to your door. And so they um, partner with, you know, Sacramento has dubbed itself the farm to fork capital of California. Uh, we used to be the city of trees, but that didn't sell as well. So we switched to this. And um, we do, we are, you know, California Central Valley is is huge for all the different farms we have around us. So each month you get a really cool box full of all kinds of fun things, whether it's um, different types of sauces or honey, um, almond butter, pistachios. Like just there's quite a wide range of what you receive. So I thought that was really cool that you know you have this you have these little box service that is building up uh, local local farmers and local businesses. So again, check that one out. It's called Sacktown Bites, S-A-C-T-O-W-N-B-I-T-E-S. Um, and they, like I said, they also do the, they also do the food tours, which I don't really know what that looks like right now in today's current environment, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think they do them. They, um, they have historically, um, on their tour, they stop at our our neighbor to our bottle shop, the Allspicery. Who mm. you know, sh- shout out to them and uh, Heather over there. They're they're great. It's a it's a fun little shop. Sacramento for for those of you who aren't local um, doesn't do retail very well. We're a, we're sort of a commuter city um, just due to really really shitty urban planning and. Um, a whole lot of racially enforced and derived public planning as well uh, in the like, in the, like the fifties and sixties. Um, so Sacramento has expansive suburbs downtown. We just, we don't have retail. 
so having a really cool shop like like all spicery next to us is rad to be in this like little epicenter of foot trafficy um, retail uh, and then then we have the bookstore that's that's right up the way as well that is doing exceptionally well in in this time because they they deliver books to people's doors which is fucking rad but Sacktown Bites had uh, they would they're like one of their final stops or one of their second to final stops was always like this short little period of time where they they'd have like an interlude and go over to to all spicery and so then when we opened up then they'd go to all spicery and then they'd come to us as well which was always it was always fun um, but that was short lived so right yeah so so check them out there's there's all kinds of you know fun things that they can do i think the farm to fork is obviously the play right now and then um you know we'll see what it looks like for for tours moving forward but yeah man that's uh that's my dope follow of the week. Those are our dope follows of the week. Go out and follow them. They are. Yeah. Enjoy it. The Good Follow Podcast is a production of Fluid Concepts, edited and researched by these two guys. Music is by two brothers of exceptional personalities i mean just exceptional leon and chase warren leon's also single ladies so you know and he's got a hot bod now because he's losing all this weight that's he's a he's a hot bod and hot dad so get 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 at him if you're into that sort of thing uh before we go kill these bottles that we are drinking we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode please smash that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review because we're clearly that dope and I, you know, I, uh, I enjoy my drinks and, uh, uh, not as much tonight though. Cause I'm not rambling except for right now. It's very rambly right now. You can also follow us on Instagram or on Facebook. Just look up the good bottle podcast. And if you would like for us to cover a story or if you are on a, uh, or if you are a brand, geez, Drew, your, your script is terrible. Uh, that wants to be featured, please email us at the good bottle podcast at gmail.com. Just don't forget to text Drew when you do that so he knows to look. Yeah, I, I will definitely look. And then also, Chris, just so you know, this this script can be edited for your pleasure. So stop You're being lazy. You're expecting um, a lot and out as of a, it. As a final reminder, the bottles that we drank on tonight's episode can be purchased at thegoodbottleshop.com. So you can either go into the shop or you can visit their website and you can find them there. Like we, like we said, um, the Kilhoman, 100% Isla, that is a one-off. So get it before it's gone. Yeah, Chris's yeah. wine can be laid down for multiple years. So make sure you get two of those. And uh, with all that said, cheers, buddy. Cheers, homie.